I love coffee and I love sharing both. So go grab your cup and let's talk. Everyone have their cup of coffee? Okay, let's dig in. I've been hearing a lot recently from the Lord and from other ministers about us staying on course, staying the course. And as I thought about that, I thought, well, am I off course? Because just because I've changed direction doesn't mean I'm off course with the Lord. Sometimes I think when we hear that term, stay the course, We think longevity, and longevity may be staying on course, staying the course, however you want to term it, but we can get off course by staying on the same path, if that makes sense, and I'm going to show you that in the Word. It's it's like a twofold. We can stay in the same place and not go in the direction Jesus tells us to go. So we've stayed in a place, but we're off course. Or we can head in the direction Jesus has told us to go and change direction or hit the pause button in what seemingly looked like we were pursuing Jesus But we have now gotten ourselves off course because we didn't stay on the path. This is a little play on words today, so kind of hang with me. It's going to be on a podcast with iTunes so you can replay it, you can re-listen to it. I want this to really sink in with you because it's important. We have to know, and if you've listened to me at all, I say it over and over again. We have to know the voice of the Lord. We have to hear his voice, and we have to respond in obedience to his voice. We cannot let man influence us, or even ourselves, in our fleshly thoughts and compassion and desires, allow ourselves to get off course. Very important. This is how we miss moments. This is how we mismanage seasons of our lives. Sometimes we stay a little too long in a place, in a position even. Sometimes we move a little too quickly. And it's different things for different people in different seasons. So we have to have an ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And there's a lot of different voices going on in our minds all the time. And so we have to recognize which voice is the enemy's voice 
Which voice is our voice? And which voice is the voice of the Lord? All three of those. And actually, we might as well throw a fourth one in there just to confuse ourselves a little more. <laughs> the voice of others' opinion. That's a strong voice. And it doesn't matter how someone else thinks you should do something. It doesn't matter how long someone else thinks you should be in a place. It doesn't matter how someone doesn't think you should be doing or going or being or staying. Now there's wisdom and godly counsel but we have to have more than that, the wisdom of God. And very simply put, the wisdom of God is simply knowing his thoughts, knowing what he would have you to do, knowing how he would see the situation you're in. Sometimes I think we make the wisdom of God seem so unreachable, unattainable, and confusing in our lives. And it's simply, Lord, I got to see this how you see it. That's his wisdom. I've got to hear this how you hear it. That's his wisdom. I need your perspective, God. I need your thoughts on this, God. That's his wisdom. And it's a simple cry that will bring us to that place. It's a simple asking Show me, and you've heard me say this before, I know you have, show me the truth of this situation. That is what equals God's wisdom in our lives. So getting back to the, the voices, we have to know that we've heard the voice of the Lord when the outcome of responding to that voice isn't what we thought it would be. So many times, so many times, it's different. It's going to be different than you anticipated. And just make sure you get all God has for you in every season of your life. Don't miss what God's trying to pour into you. Because if he's pouring it into you, there will be a day when he's gonna pour it out of you for someone else. And so, staying the course. How about this? Just stay in the boat. Just stay in the boat. I wanna show you this. See, we get seduced out of the boat. The boat God put us in, by the way. The boat God put us in. And see, the thing is, it might get uncomfortable in that boat. And we're ready to bail. Well, I want to go back on the shore. My feet were planted on the shore. Now I'm in this boat and the wind's getting a little rough. The boat's, it's not a ship, by the way, it's a boat. And it's starting to rock. So what do I do? Just stay in the boat. No matter what. So let's turn to, let me see, I'm trying to decide where I want to go here. Um, I think Matthew chapter 14. This is really good. Really good. And I heard two people preach this 
same concept within a week of each other that don't know each other at all. And it's so powerful. And it's what God has been showing me uh, this year about hear my voice and move with me. And most times we won't understand that. We won't get that. And so in Matthew chapter 14, I'm trying to see here. Okay, so we have Jesus and he's ministering to the people in Matthew 14. And John the Baptist has been beheaded. I mean, it's not, it's not a good time. That had all just happened. And Jesus, you know, I, I don't know if you recall, but John the Baptist and Jesus, you know, their mothers stood before one another. Elizabeth was John the Baptist's mother and Mary was Jesus' mother. And when Mary went to see Elizabeth, who was her cousin, which makes Jesus and John the Baptist cousins. But when they went to see each other, their babies leapt in the womb. So that's how far back their connection goes. So now Jesus is obviously grieved about this situation. And so Jesus withdraws in a boat to a solitary place. But the crowds would have none of it. So they follow him like they always did, following him everywhere he went. They followed him by land and caught up to him. And so he, Jesus gets out of the boat and goes ashore and he sees a great number of people waiting there for him. He doesn't even have time to grieve his loss. And he has compassion. In the middle of his difficulty, don't miss this, he has compassion. And this isn't even my point, but I just can't seem to read the word without stopping and highlighting certain aspects of it. You know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own stuff that we can't be compassionately looking at what someone else is going through. Like, well, I'm going through stuff too. Well, I got, I got stuff going on too. <laughs> you know? So anyhow, evening comes. The, so the disciples say to him, there's a remote and barren place and the day is over. Send the people away. And this is, you know, this is all, um, sorry for that noise. This is all when Jesus says to feed the people anyways. In one sense, this is to show you that the disciples even didn't quite grasp the magnitude of Jesus. And, and it's showing you this great and mighty miracle. And then how quickly in the next moment they forget what just took place. And so his disciples say, you know, we have nothing. We got to send these people home. And Jesus is, and I'm paraphrasing all this. Jesus basically is like, you know what? We've got to have some food around here. We're just, they don't need to go away. We're going to feed them. You give them something to eat is what he actually said. I mean, <laughs> can you just imagine the disciples' faces? Like, um, you know, Matthew looks at Mark. Mark looks at Luke. Luke looks at John. Uh, Peter, you know, it's like, um, you got anything? You, you, I don't, I don't have anything. You got anything? You know, and they turn and they look. And of course this is like young boy has five loaves and two fish. And so Jesus takes this and he feeds all the people. 
and they all ate and they were all satisfied and they still pick up 12 small hand baskets full of leftovers basically. And so we're talking about 5,000 men. So this is a mighty miracle, mighty miracle in this moment and in this time. And so in this moment in time, this miracle has taken place significant, okay? And so now Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 14 at verse 22 to get in the boat. This must be the boat that they showed up in. Get in the boat. And so all the disciples get in the boat, okay? And now Jesus doesn't get in the boat with them. What does Jesus do? He finishes up with the crowds. And really, he wants to go pray. He wants that time that he initially tried to get away to have. So he sends away the crowds too. And he goes up into the hills by himself to pray. He finally gets his alone time. But now the boat, with all the disciples in it, it's out on the sea. And it's quite a distance away. And it's getting, in Matthew 14, verse 24, it says it's being beaten and tossed by the waves. For the wind was against them. The wind was against them. <laughs> so this is intentional. Like when Jesus told them to get into the boat, he knew the winds were going to come against them. And so for me and you, when he tells us to get into a boat, in other words, when he says, the time on the shore is up. Get in that boat. We've, and actually, they came in that boat. So get in that boat you've already been in. You've already been there. You've already had some winds come against you. This isn't anything new. Just get in the boat and go to the other side. We've got purpose on the other side. But we're going to have to withstand the wind. We're going to have to be beaten and tossed by the waves. Things are going to be against us, but who's in the boat? Let me point this out. The disciples are all in the boat together. Not one man standing alone. That's pretty powerful. And you know what the neat thing is? Jesus sent him out in the boat, but he's not gonna leave them out there by themselves. He's not going to allow them to get too distressed. But I'll tell you this, if they hadn't been in the boat, they would not have survived the waves and the wind and the storm. If they got out of that boat at any other time, they wouldn't have made it. And see, the thing is, Jesus knows they needed to be on the other side now. Did they have a ministry on this side of the shore before they got in the boat? Absolutely, they did. They ministered to 5,000 men and then the woman and children included, and they fed them. But their purpose on that side of the shore was done. But they also had to stay on course. You got to go when God says go. That's part of staying on course. 
Don't be left standing on the shore when God has pushed the boat away from the shore and you were supposed to be in it. That's important. So now we have a little further down, Jesus is headed out. Jesus is headed out to them. He's left the shore now also. And can you see here that they're going through? You know, they could have been uh, supernaturally transported to the other side, but they needed to learn something in this moment. They needed to learn something in this. And there's something here that really stands out. And oh my goodness, we've heard it ministered so many times, so many times that Peter was so brave and Peter was so, uh, so had so much tenacity to him and Peter was bold and he had so much more faith than the other disciples because he got out of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. But I'm going to show you something different. Maybe Peter never should have gotten out of the boat. Maybe Peter should have stayed in the boat. And the neat thing, and I'm going to show you all this, Jesus would not allow Peter to rob the disciples, the other disciples, and the multitudes that Peter would end up ministering to when he got to the other side by getting out of the boat in the middle of the water. See, it looked very impressive, but we're going to look at it from a different angle. See, that? Th this is the thing. And we've heard this minister too, you know, oh, you got to get out of the boat. You know, you got to step out of your comfort zone. Now, we just read in Matthew 14, verse 24, that the boat was by this time out on the sea and was being beaten and tossed by the waves for the wind was against them. This was not a comfortable place they found themselves in. This was a difficult place difficult moment. And see, they got in the boat. That was the easy part. It's not until the waves start hitting you. It's not until the wind starts whipping around that it gets difficult. It's not until that season you didn't think you would be in is you're in. You're in. And truthfully, when we're in those difficult moments, what are we doing? We are looking for a way out as fast as possible. And maybe God needs us to stay the course. So here we go. Jesus is headed across the water. And all of a sudden, all the disciples see him walking on the water. And they're all, they're all terrified by this. And they think it's a ghost. Because the thing is, and, and I didn't know this before, and I just heard this shared over the weekend. That in the, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the Messiah would walk on water. See, at this point, they had a lot of respect for Jesus, but they really didn't see him as their Lord. They didn't have quite, they'd seen miracles, signs, and wonders, but they didn't have revelation of who he really was. 
They thought he was a great teacher, a great prophet, and they were his followers, but they didn't know him as Lord. So they don't think it's Jesus, the Jesus they were just with on the shore, but of course it is. And they scream out in fright. I'm in down in verse 26. And Jesus says to him, them, actually, sorry, I am. Take courage. I am. Stop being afraid. The King James Version says in verse 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. What an interesting response. Why didn't he say it was Jesus? Why didn't he just, he said, I am. Now this is going to, this is going to, this is amazing. We'll put it that way. Okay. I'm going to the scripture because I want to get it right. Do we remember when Moses, I, when, when Moses is talking to the burning bush, he's talking, basically he's talking to the Lord and he says, who am I supposed to say sent me? It's in Exodus chapter three, verse 14. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And now we have Jesus saying to his disciples, I am. And so when you study that out, it's the same I am in Exodus as in Matthew. And it's ego me, ego me, I am. I am. That's what Jesus is telling him, them here. I, I'm the one. I'm the one that walks on water. I am. So powerful. So powerful. And even that, they knew what he was saying there. They knew that language. He's speaking their language. He's not speaking our today modern language. I am. I'm the one that it was spoke of would walk on water. So in other words, I'm the only one that's supposed to walk on water. So if I'm just Jesus, if I'm just Jesus, the teacher, if I'm just Jesus, the teacher, then I should not be able to walk on this water. But I'm more than that. I am. I am everything you don't quite yet understand. I'm Jesus. I'm the anointed one. I am the son of God. Like I've been telling you. So Peter, <laughs> almost, this is almost truthfully, you never hear this connection, and this is just coming to me from the Lord right now. You never hear the connection of the level of doubt that's going on with Peter right here is equal to that of doubting Thomas. Okay? It's equal, this, this level of Peter's doubt here is equal to Thomas doubting the Lord. It's equal to Thomas saying, Show me. Thomas saying, I won't believe it until I see it. Thomas is saying that. Did you ever think that? I'm looking up that scripture until I see it. I want to go to that. 
John chapter 20, over at verse 25. I want to go there really quick for a minute. I only have a few minutes left, so this is going to be part one of a part two. So be sure to look for part two. John chapter 20, of verse 25. Right? Jesus has risen from the dead. All the disciples are so excited. Thomas, he was one of the 12, but he was not there at the time. He was not with them when Jesus showed up. Well, he was out of position then, wasn't he? Speaking of position. I don't know where Thomas had gone. But Jesus shows up and Thomas is not there. And so the other disciples are telling him all about this. And he says to them in verse 25 of John chapter 20, unless I see in his hands the marks made by the nails and I can put, and that's not even good enough because he doesn't want to be tricked. And I can put my finger into the nail prints and then I can put my hand into his side I will never believe. That's pretty powerful. I saw Jesus be crucified. I saw the nails get driven into his hands. And unless I can see those hands and get close enough to stick my finger in that hole, I'll never believe it. Now, I understand. I mean, let's not be too harsh on the guy here, okay? They're telling him the man that he just saw crucified, tortured, beaten, and hung on a cross. They're telling him, hey, he was just here. He was just talking to us. He has, he's alive. He's not dead. Well, I saw him be killed. So unless, so it was understandable of the great doubt that Thomas had. I find it interesting that Jesus waited exactly eight days, eight being the number of new beginnings, till he showed up again and Thomas was with them. And Jesus comes through the doors that were closed. Now talk about making an entrance. (laughs) And he says to Thomas, Thomas doesn't ask. He doesn't ask here, let me put my finger in your nail printed hand so I will believe. But he says to Thomas, reach out your finger here and see my hands and put your hand in place inside of it. Don't be faithless. Don't be incredulous. Stop your unbelief and believe, Thomas. And so I want you to tune in to part two of staying the course to find out how Peter's doubt was equal to that.